Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Parenting Yourself First. Jesus offers us a better way of parenting that doesn't leave us filled with shame and regret. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, I heard a teacher named John Ortberg tell this story. A man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy street when the light suddenly turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing. He came to a stop at the crosswalk, even though he could have made, made it through and beaten the red light by accelerating. And so this tailgating woman was furious. She honked her horn, screamed in frustration that she had missed her chance to get through the intersection. Then the light turned green and she proceeded to pass the man and continued on her tirade at the next red light. She was still mid-rant when she heard a tap on the window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit the car and took her to the police station where she was fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. And then after a couple hours, the officer came back and opened the door and she was escorted back to the booking area where the arresting officer was waiting for her with her personal effects. And he said, ma'am, I am so sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind you while you were laying on your horn sticking your head out the window, cussing a blue streak at the car in front of you. And then I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, the choose life license plate holder, the follow me to Sunday school magnet and the chrome plated Christian fish on your trunk. Naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. Right, that... That's a funny example, but it illustrates that as followers of Jesus, for better or worse, and I know in my life sometimes it's worse, we're known for the way we live and act. We have a responsibility to represent Jesus and his image for the world to see. In fact, before followers of Jesus were called Christians, they were called members of the way. In Acts 11.26, these members, these followers of Jesus, members of the way, followed the one who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. We sang about that. And they were known for the way they lived their lives in obedience to the teachings of Jesus. And it set them apart from the culture around them. And we're living in this cultural moment as well where we have the opportunity to represent Jesus in everything we do including our parenting. Last week, we began a four-week series called Parent Yourself First, where we're exploring what it means to parent in the way of Jesus. And what we discovered last week is that parenting has very little to do with our children and everything to do with parents. And that's because we can only control ourselves. We need to parent ourselves first. So if you have ever found yourself tired of parenting, Burned out by strategies. You read a book and you thought, if I just do this, everything is going to go great. You're filled with feelings of failure as a parent. If you're following in your notes, Jesus offers us a better way of parenting that doesn't leave us filled with shame and regret. There's a better way. And I want to say this again. Yes, this is a parenting series. We will be talking to parents and sharing some parenting examples. But if you listen carefully, 
This is an apprenticing Jesus series. My prayer and my belief, I really believe this. Wherever you find yourself today, kids, no kids, single, married, you'll be able to make applications to your life to live the way of Jesus in your relationships. Last week, we talked about how parenting in the way of Jesus begins by abiding in Jesus. And we said this, if you're following in your notes, the most important thing we can do for our kids, the most important thing we can do in any relationship is spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. And it's so important It's the foundation of everything because spending time with Jesus, an authentic encounter with Jesus changes us. It changes everything. It changes how we respond instead of react. It impacts how we think, how we talk, the discipline we practice, how we relate rightly. Are we more concerned about being right or relating rightly? It doesn't fix everything to be a follower of Jesus, but it changes us from the inside out. And it brings about the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And so when we grasp that parenting or any relationship is all about us, because we can only control ourselves, it changes our definition of success in parenting. Rather than looking to our kids as barometers of parenting success, we evaluate ourselves to see if we're parenting our children in the way of Jesus. And now, if you're following in your notes, success as a parent means parenting my child the way Jesus parents me. It means treating others and relating to others, regardless of the relationship, the way Jesus relates to us. So what we need to explore today is what the way of Jesus looks like. And that's what we're going to spend our time doing. So I wanna invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. Make your way to the New Testament. It's a section of small letters written by the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're gonna be today. We'll get there in just a few minutes. If you don't have a Bible or a digital device, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians 13 can be found on page 932 of those Bibles, 932. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. So if the most important thing we can do for our kids is to grow in the likeness of Jesus and the way we live our lives, then we need to know what it looks like. And what I wanna use as a working definition today is if you're following in your notes, becoming more like Jesus. It's also discipleship or transformation happens when we grow in what Jesus knew, his word, when we do what Jesus did, his works, and we live our life the way Jesus lived his life, his way. Many of us are visual learners, so I want to provide you with several images today to help us understand what we're talking about. I want to put this image on the screen just so we can see. Becoming like Jesus means growing in his word, his works, and his way. And if we remove any one of these three, then we have an insufficient understanding of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And today what I want to do is spend our time looking at the way of Jesus because I believe it's been overlooked and neglected. 
And if you look at our culture, there are a whole lot of people who say they are doing things in the name of Jesus and they don't look anything like Jesus. I've lived that way before. If you think about it, we've probably all lived that way. And I think this neglect of studying the way of Jesus is one of the reasons that so many people struggle with the institutional church and organized religion because we all know people who have known their Bible and they may do some good things. They do good works. They may serve the poor or the lonely, but they don't look much like Jesus in the way they treat people. And that is very confusing to a watching world and it can be damaging to the name of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you struggle with Jesus because of how someone has represented him, I'm sorry. I apologize that sometimes I've represented him poorly as well. And what I wanna say to you today, if that's you and you struggle with Jesus because of how people have treated you or acted, Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on him. Fix your eyes on his goodness, his faithfulness, his beauty. And I'm so glad you're here to learn about the way of Jesus and what he looks like and how he treats people. I'm grateful you're here. Living the way of Jesus is so important. And please hear me, don't don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with the word of Jesus and the works of Jesus. They're necessary in following Jesus, but when the word and works are done and they're not done in the way of Jesus, then we're not becoming like Jesus. Does that make sense? Our faith is not merely intellectual assent and it's not just good works. Our faith is an embodied faith where we live out what we believe. It's a relationship Not a religion and set of rules to follow. It's a relationship that changes us from the inside out. This belief in living the way of Jesus is the reason why our vision here, we say this every Sunday, is to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. We believe in it so strongly. So what's the way of Jesus? Let's spend the rest of our time together talking about that. And after we talk about that, we're gonna bring this back to parenting and apply it to our parenting situations. I wanna begin by looking at a succinct description of Jesus provided in the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse 14. And as we read this, when we read word, the word became flesh, that is Jesus. That is Jesus who we are describing. So would you read this in the gray box on your notes or on the screen with me? It says... The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I wanna put another image on the screen for you that we're gonna work with today to help us understand the way of Jesus. If you've been around here for a couple years, you may have seen this before. This is called a grace and truth matrix, and it introduces us to four different postures that represent how we relate to others. The upper right quadrant is high grace and high truth, and the lower right would be high truth and low grace and so on. The way of Jesus is grace and truth. We just read that. 
Jesus was full of 100% grace and 100% truth. He perfectly practiced grace and truth in every relationship and every conversation. That's the filter that we need to read God's word through. He wasn't sometimes 30% grace and 70% truth and had to balance it. He was fully grace and truth. And just so we're all on the same page, when I use the word grace, if you're following in your notes, it's kindness, it is goodwill, it is unmerited favor towards someone. It includes invitation and relationship and compassion. That describes Jesus. We've all been shown and given his grace. And then truth, if you're following in your notes. It means to reveal something. It's to name what really happens, to name reality. And that includes challenge and responsibility and honesty. And we see that in Jesus. He reveals God to us, and this is how he relates to us. Jesus invited people into a relationship. They had access to his life. But with this invitation, always came a challenge to live a new way. Jesus connected with people in a relationship first, and then he redirected them to challenge them to assume responsibility to make their own decisions. Jesus displayed compassion in every encounter with every person on his path. And at the same time, he dealt honestly with each person and helped him or her name the reality in which he or she was living. As you walk through the gospels, you can see Jesus practicing grace and truth. If we go back to our matrix, Jesus lived, related, and ministered to others in grace and truth. It's found in that upper right quadrant. We can call that a call-in or call-up quadrant. And that's because Jesus was always calling people into relationship. And he demonstrated he genuinely cared about their best interest. And he called them up to a better way of living than they were currently living. If I could sum this all up, if I could sum grace and truth up in one word, it'd be love. If you're following your notes, the tension between grace and truth is love. We need this tension. We've all seen both extremes of this, right? Truth without grace breeds self-righteousness and legalism. And grace without truth breeds deception and moral compromise. The best expression of love is found in the tension between grace and truth. But what happens, and I'm guaranteeing it's happening right now, is that your mind goes somewhere when you hear the word love and you think maybe one of two things, either that's weak or that's a syrupy, sappy emotion. Let me address both of those myths. The Greek word in the New Testament that is most often used to describe the love of Jesus is the word agape. Maybe you've heard that before. If you're following in your notes, agape love is an unconditional love that is always giving to its recipient and cannot be withdrawn or removed. It involves loving someone no matter how they may respond And it doesn't change whether or not love is given in return. Agape was a rare term used in Greek culture outside of the Bible because the Greeks thought agape love was weak. 
And 21st century Christians are no different. Truth be told, Christian parents often think this sort of love is weak too. And I understand this viewpoint because I used to hold this viewpoint, right? I believed I had to be an effective parent to be a successful parent and get the desired obedience that I wanted, that I needed to be strong and powerful and in control, the alpha male. But after studying the Bible, I realized that Jesus never felt the need to live that way. He lived a life characterized by love. Pastor Mark Batterson breaks the myth of this idea of love is weak when he writes this. This is a longer quote, but it is so helpful. I want to read this to us. He says, the message of the gospel can be captured in two words, love conquers. But that love is not the puppy love our culture celebrates a la the bachelorette. It's a long suffering love. It's a love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's a love that even loves its enemies. Tough love is sacrificial love, a love that is willing to be nailed to a cross for someone else's sin. Tough love is unconditional love, a love that is not dictated by someone else's performance. Tough love is covenantal love for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health. That's so helpful because for most of us, love is considered a feeling. It comes and it goes and we can feel love towards all sorts of things. I love my wife. I also love pizza. I love puppies. I love my church and I love the St. Louis Cardinals. I love the University of Illinois sports programs. The problem with that definition of love, the way I'm using it, it's highly emotional. And it fluctuates depending on how I feel. I don't feel real good right now that the Cardinals are 8 and 14. And it doesn't reflect the love of Jesus. One of the best definitions of agape love was written by Pastor Tim Keller. He says this, you can see it on the screen. Love is an action. Love is not a feeling. Love is giving somebody what's best for them no matter what it costs you. That's love. That sounds like the love of Jesus that we read about in scripture. Let me share three verses with you that describe this love of Jesus. I've put agape in here so we can see what we're talking about. It says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 10 says, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. It's giving somebody what's best for them, no matter what it costs you. And Jesus didn't just demonstrate this agape love. He commanded his followers to live this out as well. In the gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we can see this on the screen. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Following Jesus and becoming more like him 
requires us to live with his words, his Bible, obey his works, and live a certain way. And that way is defined by grace and truth, demonstrated in love. But that still leaves us with the question, if I'm in your position, what does this love practically look like? It's a good question. The Apostle Paul provides us with one of the best and clearest descriptions of following Jesus, of discipleship and transformation in the New Testament. Paul was writing a letter to the church in Corinth. This was a new church, and they placed a heavy emphasis on the works of Jesus. They were competing with each other to see who had the most important spiritual gifts. And it's into this context that Paul would write 1 Corinthians 13, and he's going to use the word agape seven times in eight verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, we see Paul upholding the way of Jesus. A friend of mine named Matt Tebby added in word, works, and way just so we can see the necessity of all three and the importance of the way. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. You can see this on the screen. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We can know the words of Jesus. We can perform the works of Jesus and obey his word. But if we don't do those things in the way of Jesus, we are told they mean nothing. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four to eight, to give us an imagination for what the way of Jesus looks like. And interestingly enough, he sums it up with the word love. Would you read this with me on the screen? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. I'm gonna leave those words on the screen for just a moment because those words give us a glimpse of what it means to live the way of Jesus. Interestingly, when we read those words, they are postures. They're not just actions, they are postures that begin inside of us and then are embodied in the way we live. Jesus commanded us to love others this way. And the apostle Paul would go on in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians and say this to the church at Corinth, living that way is your highest goal in life. Your highest goal because that's how we become like Jesus and represent him. I wanna invite you to turn your notes over for just a couple of moments. You can add any notes you want to this, but again, I wanted to try to capture the love of Jesus in visual form. 
right? This, this grace and truth posture reveals how Jesus lived, spoke, and acted all of the time. If we are not loving, we are not acting like Jesus. And if we want to become like him, we must learn to live and parent with this practice of grace and truth demonstrated in love. I wish I had time to talk about these other quadrants and ways we parent that are against the way of Jesus. But for time's sake today, let me just say this. Jesus never lived with high truth and low grace and call people out. He was authoritative, not authoritarian. He was not controlling, impatient, harsh, or condemning. That is not the way of Jesus. And even in parts of the Bible where it may seem like that, where he is speaking to the Pharisees or clearing the temple, if we read that in context, that is not how he is acting. Jesus was never low grace and low truth. He didn't just hang out in a disengaged, apathetic, avoidant, checked out way. And Jesus wasn't Mr. Nice Guy, right? He didn't try to be everybody's friend and just hang out. He wasn't permissive. He didn't avoid conflict. He didn't try to preserve the peace by giving everybody everything they wanted. If you flip your notes back over, the way of Jesus is only and always grace and truth. This is only and always how Jesus relates to you and me. And let me just pause here and say this, because we've got to get this right if we want to pass this on in our relationships. We have to know what the voice of Jesus sounds like. And if you're here and you hear condemnation or harsh judgment when you mess up, that is not the voice of Jesus. That is the enemy condemning you and lying to you. And likewise, if you hear a justification when you sin, like, that's okay, that's not that big of a deal, that's not the voice of Jesus either. It's so important to know what the voice of Jesus sounds like because we treat and speak to others the way we believe Jesus speaks to us. And Jesus will only speak to us in grace and truth. There will be invitation, relationship, and compassion and there will be challenge and responsibility and honesty. And if we want to parent and become more like Jesus, this is how we need to do it in grace and truth. Now, I'm going to speak to parents here. But again, let's broaden this. If you're here in any relationship you might have, I believe this, what I'm about to say is true. Parenting in the way of Jesus is parenting for your child and seeing the best in them. It's a way that believes they can make better decisions and longs for them to do so. It's a way of parenting that doesn't get mad and controlling when children fail. You get sad because you want to see something better for your kids. It's a way that is concerned about the heart, not just external behavior. It's a way that it is concerned and it seeks a relationship with your child. But it accompanies that by placing appropriate responsibility on them to live up to what God has called them to be. It's a way of parenting that invites your child to do everything as if they are doing it for the Lord and challenging them along the way. It's a way of parenting that's not afraid to say the hard, honest things to our kids. 
while at the same time saying those things with compassion and understanding. And I realize everything I just said is way easier to say than it is to actually do. And I fail at this on a daily and weekly basis. But Jesus challenges us and invites us to a better way. And when we mess up, we can fall back on that. And we fall back on his grace and truth. And let me be clear. This does not mean, if we parent this way, it does not mean that our kids are going to like the way we parent. Right? They probably will not like the way we're parenting because it is a calibration and a practice of invitation and challenge. It's not permissiveness. It's not just giving our kids everything they want because we think that will make a happy family. I was thinking back this week, one Halloween, one of our boys dressed up as Batman. It was a full kit. It was awesome. And um, he said, Dad... Uh, we had a bowl of candy out in a bonfire on the driveway. And he said, dad, how about this? I'm going to climb up on the roof. And when people come to get candy, I'll jump off and scare them. (laughs) And I said, first of all, dude, that's awesome. Like totally great idea. We're not going to do that. And here's why we're not going to do that. It's not going to go well for you. I want something better for you. Did that frustrate and make him angry? Probably. Did he agree with me? Probably not. Did he go away sad? Yes. Now that's a silly example, but I just want to get it across, right? Parenting in the way of Jesus doesn't lead to a utopian family. Parenting in the way of Jesus means you're taking responsibility for yourself to become more like Jesus in everything you do. Practicing grace and truth and representing Jesus well. And I wanna point one more thing out that we see from these words in 1 Corinthians 13. We said their postures and their actions. And as I looked at these words, I was struck by the fact That each of these words, if you're following in your notes, demonstrate that Jesus' love toward us was proactive. It was proactive. And that means our love toward others must be proactive. And what I've learned about myself is that I'm good at loving people who treat me well, and I pretty much stink at loving people who are challenging, and sometimes that includes my kids. I've noticed In myself, the way I love people is primarily reactive. Meaning I love them based on the way they treat me. And if I'm getting technical, that's probably not love at all. We never see Jesus love anyone reactively in scripture. If Jesus' love was reactive, we'd be in big trouble. Jesus chose to love us even when we didn't deserve it. His love was extended to us when we turned our backs on him and wanted nothing to do with him. He did not love us the way we deserved. And Jesus' love was not based on the way he felt. He was hurt, let down, betrayed, and he still loved us. He loved proactively. He didn't wait for us to get our lives in order and get cleaned up and then decide to love us. He moved toward us. He proactively loved us and he continues to proactively love us. And this is important. We don't love proactively to get results. That's manipulation. We love proactively because we were loved by Jesus first. 
And that's his way. So if success in parenting means parenting our children in love the way Jesus parents us, then it means loving our children proactively. And this may sound super obvious, but it means choosing to love our children before they make the mistake. So that during the confronting, the correcting, and the consequencing, we've already made up our minds to proactively love them and move toward them and connect with them and give them a hug even when we don't feel like giving them a hug. But at the same time, we're truthful with them and we hold them responsible. This means that loving our children is not based on how we feel about them in the moment, but on how Jesus models love for us. Emerson Agerich is an author and he encourages for parents who love their children unconditionally. And this quote has marked me for a number of years. You can see it on the screen. He says, by unconditional, I mean that there is no condition that causes me to be unloving or disrespectful. In other words, if I am unloving or disrespectful, it is not because of certain circumstances caused by others that make me react unlovingly or disrespectfully. I choose to be harsh, independent of the circumstances. Ouch. My posture and my actions and how I represent Jesus by living the way of Jesus are my responsibility. My kids can't make me act a certain way that is against the way of Jesus. I choose to do that. So the question we're left with that Jesus wants us to get after, if you're following in your notes, is am I parenting in the way of Jesus? Am I parenting in grace and truth demonstrated in love? And as you're putting your notes away, just let me share this good news with you. If we were left to do this on our own, we would be in big trouble. Big trouble. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people are hard to love sometimes. Our kids are hard to love sometimes. And we can't try hard enough to love people the way Jesus loves us. But fortunately, in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, we're given this verse. This is such an important verse. Would you read this with me? It says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, we, we need to know this now. As followers of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can ask Jesus to help us love people in the way of Jesus, and he will answer that prayer 100% of the time. 100% of the time. He will help us love people if we ask. We wanna give you a moment in this busy world, just a gift of quiet, to reflect on how you're doing with living and parenting in the way of Jesus. How are you doing with loving your children and loving others? Do, do you find your love is reactive or proactive? Do you find yourself in that grace and truth quadrant or do you default to some other quadrant that is against the way of Jesus? And as you reflect, don't shame yourself. Just name where you are and invite Jesus to help you become more like him and to help you love others the way he loves us. He'll answer that prayer. I wanna give you this time to reflect and invite him 
to pour out his love into your heart. God, we're a grateful people gathered to thank you. Thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for proactively loving us in spite of how we acted, in spite of what we did, what we've done. God, thank you that you invite us into a relationship and you confront us and correct us to live your way. God, we need you. Would you pour out your love into our hearts so that we can love others and image you well to a watching world? God, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We don't wanna do this on our own. This is impossible to do on our own. We need you. We need you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.